As we continue in this practice of consciously and caringly connecting with our experience of again and again returning to the simple immediacy of what's happening right where we are, of coming again and again into contact with our living, breathing body as a foundation for presence and connectedness, as a ground that we can always return to. As we practice in this way over time, as we have been now for a few days, we start to find, despite what it may have felt like to begin with, that in fact it is possible for us to be more and more present. Not to say that's always what happens, but that we find the natural capacity to tune in, to resonate with, and to be awake to what's happening. Begins to grow, and the capacity also to sustain our attention, to steady, and to gather the attention, to follow and track the movement of experience in a more ongoing way, begins to develop. At times we might find it quite accessible, at times less so, but nonetheless it grows. And so as we, as we find this capacity for being where we are, more available, we can start also to notice more clearly what is happening. As Shada was speaking so beautifully about last night, the noticing the different qualities that start to emerge that support our practice. Noticing also the challenging patternings that arise that hinder us in being able to, to be easily connected and present. And there's an aspect of our experience which is really helpful to attend to in (coughs) noticing what's going on. The Buddha spoke of four foundations for attentiveness, for presence, for mindfulness, four frameworks or realms of our experience, aspects of our experience that it's useful to connect with. And the first and primary foundation is body. And we've been working with body and the breathing in the sense of the body sitting and walking and standing, the postures, in the, in the exploring of the particularities of our bodily experience, in the exploring of the sense of our whole body, the fullness of the bodily field. All this is part of the first foundation, the first framework for attentiveness and gathering of heart and mind together. And the second foundation that the Buddha speaks of is in the Pali, the the word is Vedana. It's commonly and was originally and often translated as feeling tone, which is perhaps a little confusing for some of us for this in our English language culture. The word feeling has a range of different meanings and a It refers to the quality of pleasantness or unpleasantness or 
being neither pleasant or unpleasant that is part of every experience. And a more precise and particular word we could use is hedonic tone or phrase. Hedonism, obviously the pursuit of pleasure, but hedonic is the realm of pleasure. So the tonality in terms of pleasurableness or not. And what we notice as we pay attention, what we start to see as we are more present is that the process that's taking place is not random or accidental or unlawful in some way. There are processes, conditions, mechanisms that we start to see more clearly. And one of the features of our experience is that when we're not present and awake, when we're not aware of our experience, if something pleasant arises... We're attracted to it quite naturally and habitually we try to grasp hold of it. And craving and grasping, attachment and the unskillful expression of of attachment easily take place. If something is unpleasant or painful to us, disagreeable, and we're not aware of that, then very Ordinarily and understandably, we push it away. We resist. We don't want to have the experience. Aversion arises. Perhaps stronger expressions of aversion. The forms of maybe frustration or anger. Irritation. And so we start to notice this. What we can also notice is if the experience is neither pleasant nor unpleasant... And sometimes we call this neutral, but the actual expression is it's not this or not that. That actually we just aren't interested in it. It's not doing something for me. It's not doing anything to me. So why on earth would I pay attention to that? That's kind of how our conditioned process works. Born out of a survival mechanism that needs to notice really quickly if that's a saber-toothed tiger. Because if I don't notice that and it eats me, I'm in trouble. Well, it's, maybe I'm beyond trouble at that point. Or if there's some food, I need to notice it because actually that's an apple tree. I can survive if I eat those apples. And if I don't, I'll be hungry. But if it's just a, you know, I don't know, a brown stick, it's like, well, maybe I need a fire, but okay. You know, a stone, maybe. So maybe we can start to think of things that neutral things might be useful for. But at a sensory experience level, much of what we experience isn't particularly pleasant or unpleasant. But our mind and the attention tends to primarily pick up things which are. And so when we practice meditation, we're invited to just feel the body, feel the breathing. Sometimes there's not a lot going on and we kind of, oh, why bother? My mind can produce much more entertaining pleasant things or much more important worrying unpleasant things to be engaged with. So part of our training here is learning to meet whatever comes. And seeing that if we're not aware of the pleasant quality of an experience, we're sitting, there's a nice warm sort of yummy feeling that starts in my belly and starts to ripple through my body, perhaps. Or there's just a moment of calm of just for a moment the mind is quiet and it's like, oh, that's nice. And we can see very quickly, it's like, how did I make that happen? How long will it last? Can I get it back again? And that's the grasping craving and then the the wanting I've got to have it I must have it this is the thing this is it that's starting to get attached 
but we didn't notice. Oh, it was just a pleasant experience. Maybe it was useful, even skillful, wholesome. Indeed, why not? But to notice the often unconscious reaction to take hold of means in that moment we do not need to be compelled to enact that patterning that says grab it. Grasp it. Take hold. Try and keep it. Try and reproduce it. Try and figure it out so I know how to do that which is where we spin into the thinking. Likewise, something unpleasant arises. There's a sound. It's going ding. And then again, it goes ding. It's the heating system coming on or something like that. We think, oh, it's annoying. I don't like it. I wish it would go away. You know, what can I... I think I'm going to write a note to facilities and tell them about the heating. It's really annoying. I can't meditate when it's noisy. Oh, my gosh. Nobody can. Probably be really helping. We see we've decided this experience, which maybe is unpleasant, is somehow... an obstacle to my life. And I've got to sort it out. And then I'm busy with that while I'm also getting really angry. How come they haven't sorted this out already? Why should I have to do this? Or it's internal. And it's more like, oh, I feel kind of weary and tired. And actually, it's kind of unpleasant being tired. And it's like, oh, oh, I wish I was more sort of bright and energetic. You know, Shada, when she was speaking, she was so bright last night. I'm not like that. You know? And it's like, Ah, oh, oh, okay, we're telling a story based on an experience. And because it was unpleasant, and I didn't see that, I started to wish it wasn't like this. Then I started to think about why it isn't like this. Then I got lost in a world born of the fact that right now I'm a little tired. Maybe I didn't have a great night's sleep. Maybe I did and I had a little too much breakfast. Who knows? Both of those will do it for me in terms of being a bit sleepy. So we notice, oh, if I can notice that, oh, that's unpleasant. If I can be aware of it and let myself, can I feel the unpleasantness? Because if I can feel it, I don't have to react to it. And just know, oh, this is unpleasant. It doesn't mean I have to like it. I'm not going to like it. That's by definition what it is. If you're ever wondering what tone the experience is, ask yourself, do I like this? Do I want this? Do I, would I like more of it? Or do I want it to stop? Because if you like it and you'd like more of it, that's pleasant. What's pleasant for one person may not be pleasant for another. We don't get to choose that. It's quite outside of ourself, in a sense. You know, one person will find a piece of music delightful, but someone else will find it absolutely excruciatingly painful to listen to. And they can't decide, oh, somebody else likes it. I think I'll like it. It doesn't work that way. Some kinds of food, for one person that's You know, it's a treat. People enjoy truffles. They'll pay large amounts of money to eat this particular food. I find it terrifyingly horrible. (laughs) And if even a drop of it gets into my dinner, I can't eat it. And I can't decide to say, wow, other people pay lots of money to have that added to their meal. It doesn't work for me. So this sense of, oh, it's just how it is for us. It's pleasant or unpleasant. If I want it more, I like it, that's pleasant. If I don't want it, I don't like it. By definition, that's unpleasant. And if neither of those two things are happening, that's neither this one nor that. It's the in-between. And the habit with the in-between is not to grasp or push away, grasping pleasant, pushing away unpleasant. With the neutral or the neither pleasant or unpleasant, the habit is to disconnect. It's like, boop, nothing going on here for me, and I'm gone. 
And that's sometimes what goes on when we're saying, oh, it's boring. Nothing happening here. Walking back and forth, walking back and forth. I did it yesterday, did it the day before. I'm doing it all day today. And I really can't be bothered. Often it's just a kind of neutral experience. There's nothing exciting here. There's no great problems. And to notice what happens there. Because as soon as we say boring, it's not a neutral thing anymore, is it? Actually, it's become unpleasant to us. It's lack of pleasant or unpleasantness turns it into a problem. The Buddha had something very remarkable to say about this process. And what he said was, if we don't pay attention to the neutral experience, to the neither pleasant or unpleasant, if we're unaware of it, if we don't pay attention to it, it becomes unpleasant. Whereas he said, if we do pay attention to the neutral experience, it becomes pleasurable. This is really interesting, and you can check it out. When we're disconnecting, it's the disconnect that becomes unpleasant. Boredom is unpleasant because we've disconnected from our experience. Because the experience itself isn't unpleasant by definition. Otherwise, we're definitely interested in it if it's unpleasant. Have you noticed that? If it's unpleasant, we're interested. It's hard to get the mind to look away from something unpleasant. We want to figure out how to get rid of it. And so, oh, if I connect with it, something else happens. The very connection with a neutral experience, the quality of connection itself becomes pleasurable. Try it and see. A really neutral walking. Try and really be there. Or the breath and breathing in my body or my body. Sometimes it's just this lump of mass of pretty blah sensation. But let me really be intimate with it. Oh, something sweet in that. The sensation hasn't changed, but the quality of connectedness brings something of a sweetness or a or something that we find we could say enjoyable. So those moments when we're really present can sometimes be really sweet for us. Not because something it's not like we're getting served some fancy coffee cake and, you know, treat. And that's pleasant, but it's oh I'm really here with That's why it becomes sweet. And we start to recognize that the quality of our presence and connectedness informs the quality of our experience profoundly. And that qualitative element is available whether or not it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither. But we have to train in it because the habit is not that. So in our experience, it can be really helpful to just notice this aspect of experience that we call Vedana, hedonic tone. Or sometimes it's called feeling tone, as I said, or even feelings, which is even more confusing because it's not about emotions. It's about that way we relate to the experience. And understanding that it is the root of the movement of craving, of aversion, or of disconnection, which are the foundation sort of mental activities that lead to greed and selfishness and all the harmfulness of that, to anger and hatred and all the harmfulness that that can bring, and that also leads to delusion and, and kind of ignorance and all the harm that can bring too.
these fundamental, but we could say problematic potentialities of the human heart and mind, greed, hatred, delusion, ignorance. These are the fundamental patternings that we're seeking to understand and uproot to free our hearts and our minds. And really to also to free our lives and our world from their impact. And it begins with hedonic tone. And handling them begins with learning to be aware of and to handle. What that means is noticing. Ah, this is pleasant. This is not pleasant. Or this is neither, one nor the other. Seeing can I be present with them. If you find yourself becoming caught in some reactivity, sense of grasping for something, see if you can notice what is it the thing that I'm trying to take hold of. Is it pleasant? Ask yourself, oh, can I just feel the pleasantness? Because the funny thing is, as soon as we're grasping for it, we're no longer feeling the pleasantness. We're kind of hungry for more pleasantness because we're not actually in touch with the pleasantness that's here. If I can just feel it, I don't need more. Maybe I can trust that this is enough for now. When it's something unpleasant, maybe there's some ache in my shoulder. And I've checked it out to make sure that there's, I'm not doing any damage to my shoulder. I don't have an injury there. It's just aching. Sometimes our shoulder aches because it's slowly letting go all the holding. And the tendency to hold our shoulder up near our ear, it's starting to drop down. I don't know if you hold your shoulder near your ear, but mine tends to want to head that way sometimes. And as it relaxes, it actually starts to hurt because it's stretching out the tissues again that were all contracted. And it's painful, but it's not doing any harm. And yet I still don't want it to be there. I think, oh, shoulder hurts. Oh, I don't like it. What should I do? Oh, I'll do some yoga, you know. But actually, can I just feel, oh, this is unpleasant. Can I soften with it? Can I allow myself? Okay, it's unpleasant, but it's not dangerous. I've checked that out. It's important to check that out. If I'm standing on a road and there's a car coming towards me, I have this unpleasant wash of fear coming through me. I don't go, oh, unpleasant sensations, fear. I can be with that. No, I get off the road. That's intelligence. That's compassion. That's wisdom. We can do that. But if I hear the sound and I'm getting afraid and... Oh, actually I'm not, there's no cars, it's something else, it's the wind. Oh, it's all right. I don't need to do anything. So there, just, oh, can I feel the unpleasantness? The interesting thing with the unpleasantness is often the response is, I can't. When actually the truth is, I don't want to. Because we don't want to. That's the nature of it. And saying, oh, but I, I don't want to, but I can feel it. And once I start to feel it, the pattern of reactivity that's born of attempting to not have to feel it starts to lose its power, its solidity, and its compelling ability to drive us. And we start to discover freedom in the midst of our experience. We are not bound to react, but we almost inevitably will if we're not aware of the hedonic tone. And that's why we give it attention. That's why we want to know that it's going on, if it's going on. And in fact, the interesting thing, of course, is that it's always going on. And with the neutral experience, the neither pleasant nor unpleasant, 
seeing what it is to give attention to it. It's so easy to say, ah, oh, nothing happening, it's boring. And I often wonder, it would be really sad, wouldn't it, if inner peace turns out to be boring. Because <laughs> it's not doing anything for me or to me. But that might actually be really peaceful. So, settling again into our bodies as we engage in this sitting meditation form, having the permission, as we said, to, to use other forms if we need. And here this intention for steadying, stilling and quieting is that really an invitation to, to be steady with our experience. It doesn't mean there is no movement, but that we're not moving driven by reactivity born of the unconscious experience of discomfort and moving away, something pleasurable and trying to move towards. And this practice asks us to be equally willing to feel that which is sweet or lovely or delightful without grasping it, as it asks us to be willing to feel that which is unpleasant, painful or distressing without pushing it away. And so whatever experience comes to you is an invitation here to be more fully awake and connected and to begin to understand these processes and mechanisms of being bound and equally the conditions and possibilities of unbinding our heart and mind. And so settling into your body, feeling the sense of the posture, resting upon the earth and just sensing that contact with ground and the quality of uprightness extending up into the space around you, the sky above, alert without being rigid. Sensing this whole body and the movement of breathing that ripples and flows within and through the body, permeating this whole living structure, this breathing organism. At times bringing the attention to places of particularity, if there's somewhere that we may notice discomfort or perhaps stronger pain, just checking out to see if it's okay, having permission to make an adjustment if it's needed, and sometimes it is, but also having the courage to stay with the unpleasant if it doesn't need to be adjusted, because sometimes it doesn't. And trusting in the process of learning to discern 
between these two without having to get it right will be perfect in any way. We can notice the experience of hearing of sounds that come and go. Perhaps we may feel the way they resonate in the body. We don't just hear with the eardrum. The ear receives the signal. But the body resonates with sound. If we're present in the whole body and there is sound, if it's pleasurable, we might think it's like music. Oh, how lovely, that songbird. Or it might be something unpleasant some mechanical noise from outside, machinery or someone sweeping or scraping ice. And we might think that's noise, it's distracting, but actually no, just notice it's, oh, that was pleasant. That's unpleasant. Or maybe the sound is neutral. It's the wind blowing past the windows. the quiet background hum of the the heating system. The sound in itself is not a problem, a distraction or an obstacle unless we react to it and it's a great place to notice that quality of pleasurable or unpleasant hedonic tone. Likewise the body the breathing, these experiences that come and go, noticing the simple experience and discerning this quality of pleasant or unpleasant as you practice. And again, noticing if there are strong or compelling patterns of thinking, drawing us into the past or the future, entangling or engaging us in compelling ways, and just coming back into the body to notice. Sometimes when thinking is strong, in the body we feel a resonance, a vibration, a sensation connected with the activity. As Catherine was speaking about yesterday morning, There's some emotional charge with the thinking. Feeling the charge directly in the body. Noticing. Also, this too is likely to be pleasant if the thinking seems to be about something pleasurable, exciting, delightful, interesting. And the sensation is likely to be unpleasant if the thinking is about something scary, frightening, difficult. distressing to us and just oh can I feel this we don't have to analyze the thinking too much just come into the body and feel what it's like right here and that aspect of the bodily experience often gives us a much more useful anchor for a little while If it feels too much or too strong, back off and give it room. 
Just as with physical pain, sometimes it's wise to just give it space. We don't always need to focus on it. To hold it gently. To know we can back off if we need to. To move the attention away. And so we continue to practice moment by moment. Simply and consciously abiding where we are, allowing ourselves to be at home in this living, breathing experience, to be awake moment by moment. Seeing what's happening just as we're able to see, as much as we're able to see, but not more so than that. Noticing. Allowing this experience to be just as it is. Being mindful and conscious, just as you are.
please take a moment if you need to just release any pressure or bring ease to any discomfort in the body just in a gentle kindly way taking care of ourselves our bodies Just a few announcements I have to offer and perhaps a couple of reflections about practicing in the day. This morning and for some in the afternoon we'll continue with the group interviews, the group meetings. And for those of you who didn't have a group yesterday, you will have a group today, second group meeting. And do please check, if you haven't already, to know when you're meeting with us. We will also, a little later in the morning, post some individual meetings, the spaces for people who may wish to meet with one of us to speak about your practice. And sometimes people will have written us a, a message asking to meet, and we'll sometimes place your name in the list or respond with a note so if you do write us a note please check the notice board and uh, it may take a little while before the response comes but generally it will come and um, with the spaces for signing up we understand that um, it's a really useful and helpful way to explore practice that some people may wish to make use of and it's also a limited resource there are three of us and there are a hundred of you and there will not be in fact anything like enough spaces for everybody to have an individual meeting which isn't to say that you shouldn't have one but that really the intention for that is if it's something that you can't bring to the group meeting or it feels like it's not possible or appropriate for that to be the forum which is the primary place for exploring our practice and talking and bringing questions or it's something that feels urgent and can't wait until your next scheduled group and you feel like I need some, need some support or guidance or input here, then, of course, you're very free and welcome, and that's why the spaces are offered. And, and with that, we ask that if you sign up for an interview with any one of us, from there on, you don't sign up for another interview with any one of us. It's not just the same person, but any of us, because otherwise there will be less spaces available. If the teacher, when they meet with you, suggests that they may wish or feel it appropriate or helpful to meet again, that's different, and then that can be arranged in that way. That sometimes is what seems to be needed. But um, in terms of signing up, just to take the opportunity on one occasion, there will be more spaces available towards the end of the retreat than during the days when we're offering the group meetings. But that's how that will work. And if you've tried to get a space and haven't managed to, you can let us know. And we'll do what we can to to meet that need. Just want to say briefly also with the afternoon practice, the uh, opportunity to engage in the mindful movement and yoga at uh, 4.15. At, uh, for those who are choosing not to do so, that's really a time for continuing a fullness of, of practice, of taking some time for walking, standing, and or sitting, as feels useful to you. But really having a sense of more and more filling the day with our practice. And so someone wrote a note asking, you know, what should I do in all that free time at lunchtime? 
And my invitation, and we could say our instruction, certainly invitation and instruction, is be mindful, be awake. Use it as a time to be as present and sensitive and connected as you're able to be. And if you would like to go for a walk, or you'd like to sit in a comfortable sort of position somewhere and look out a window, or you feel that it's useful for you to take some rest or have a nap in the afternoon, and certainly I often do that when I'm on retreat, certainly in the initial stages of practice, often that seems helpful. But whatever you do, do it with sensitivity and attentiveness. Make each moment, or, or receive each moment as an opportunity to offer yourself into this practice, to offer yourself back to this life that is being given to us moment by moment. And so when we take our meals, we can be attentive and sensitive as we queue up and we're excited. And we're anticipating, excuse me, some pleasant sensations. Ah, that's what's going on here. I'd like some of those. Well, maybe we're a bit worried because, oh no, I hope it's not the thing I don't like. You know, if they serve celery for me, it's like, oh no, you know. (laughs) for someone else celery great give me lots of it I don't say that so they won't serve celery but I I tell them they need to serve celery whether I say I like it or not because we need to meet what comes but each moment the washing of the dishes afterwards are we impatient standing in the queue or can we just stand hey standing meditation and then hands in warm water with a brush meditation called washing dish it's all here for us And really that's the invitation of practice, to weave this attentiveness and care into the wholeness of the day. When we do our working meditation, we call it that because it's an opportunity to be present and awake and connected again. And in this way we continue to deepen and support the practice. One other practical thing I just want to mention with the affinity group sits at 6.45 today for the people of colour community. And uh, tomorrow again for the LBGTQI community. With those groups, it's really intended to be a silent sitting time where, of course, someone, and we imagine, and um, for you to find your way with that, someone can take the bell and just ring it at the end. If you feel moved to all bow or just have some gesture or moment of acknowledgement as a community, of course, that's wonderful and welcome, but it's not my sort of, I I don't sort of have a sense of what you should be doing with that, but just see what feels appropriate and right. And some may wish to be more sort of contained within themselves, and some may more wish to just take a moment to acknowledge and look around and see who's here, and maybe smile or bow. And that's kind of as we do in the hall, um, in that space. And there'll be a loving-kindness meditation today, the formal practice of metta meditation, and that cultivation and development of care and friendliness will be in the 2.15 sitting today. And uh, so then it's time for group meetings and uh, continuing in your walking practice and bringing this mindful attentiveness to each moment and each step. And, and notice the, the pleasant, unpleasant quality and the neutral that might be there in the walking that attracts or resists or generates attraction or resistance to your experience in whatever way it shows. And then we'll come back again for the next uh, group meditation at 10 o'clock, beginning with some standing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.